Good morning, my name's Dan. I am part of the leadership team here at Jubilee and it's great to be uh, speaking to you this morning as we start a new series which I'll explain as we go but this gives you a little bit of a hint what's on the screen. And I want to start this morning by uh, taking you back um, about, 50, uh, about 1,500 years, 1,500 years this morning to approximately uh, 530 AD. And um, I want to introduce you to this man. This is a man, Italian man named uh, Benedict. Um, Benedict found himself um, living in, in Italy uh, and living in Europe uh, in the midst of chaos. The Roman Empire had just fallen and the world was in a mess. The world desperately needed restoration, physical, social, spiritual restoration. And Benedict was a man of faith and he was so discontent with the way of the world that he took himself out of his city and into the countryside. He longed to see God break through and he, uh, to see renewal to this broken world. So he took himself away and he, started, uh, uh, he had plans to start a monastery. So his plan was that he would gather this group around him who, would, who also were discontent with the way the world was and they would seek God together. That he would make, through this monastery, he would make disciples who would bring hope, the hope of Jesus, to a world in chaos. Benedict gathered this group of men around him and he spent time investing in them and they spent time seeking God together. And he created this code that they would live by that they would all submit to, and it was called the rule for life. And these men followed this rule, they followed God and they studied scripture, they spent time in prayer, and they lived out quietly, went about living out the kingdom. And this group of men became magnetic. It drew attention from people around them. After going deep with these few group of men, then Benedict went wide and he sent them into Europe to establish monasteries throughout Europe. He published this rule, this code that they were living by. He published it so others could submit to this rule. He went deep with a few and then he went wide and his impact was, was felt across the whole of Europe. For Benedict, he understood that if you want to rebuild culture then you have to return Christ to the center. And as I prepared to take on the leadership of the church, which happened last week, uh, I was increasingly drawn to Benedict's story. You know, we don't live in a world of chaos like he did. Forget what the media tells you. Compared to that time, we don't live in a chaotic time. But we do live in a time of uncertainty. We, we live in a time when God is not at the center of our society. A time when we look around us and we see a world needing restoration, just like Benedict saw. You know, at Jubilee, we're involved in our work with the Life College, and we work and we spend all day with people, and we just look around and we hear stories, and we see people, and we realize we need to see restoration. You know, we look around us, and you might see your, you might walk down the street, or you might know the situations of your neighbors or people in your own family, and you think, we're in a world that needs restoration. It can almost seem overwhelming. We need to establish Christ into the center of the world around us. We look out and we see this need and we think, man, God, would you break in? You know, we've had a week of prayer and a lot of the time we're just asking God, would you break in? But then I began to look at my own life, not just the world around me. I began to look at my own life and how, and 
I started to look at my marriage. I looked at my marriage and I, I just I realized how often I fail to live up to God's standard for being a husband. How I really want to place prayer as a priority with my wife Rachel, but so often I forget. Or I look at how I father and how often I lack patience with my son. How when I should be playing with him, I get distracted by my phone or the TV. How I'm selfish with how I spend my time rather than give my full attention to my son. I look at my leadership and I look at how often I avoid difficult conversations because I want the easy life. I want people to like me. I look at my finance and I realize how greedy I am with what I, how I use what God has given me. I look at how I rely on my own strength rather than allowing God to be my strength in my weakness. Aren't you glad that I'm leading this church? You know, as I prepare for this new year, I have felt increasingly aware of my insufficiencies. I don't, and I'm just, I'm not sharing this, so you come up to me afterwards and reassure me. I'm sharing you because it's true. I see my life, I look at society, and I crave that God would move. But then I look at my own life, and I crave that God would move. Both in the people around me, but first, that he would move in me. That he would change me. And, and my prayer recently has been the, the prayer like this of the psalmist in Psalm 42, which will come up on the screen. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? You know, there is this discontent in my heart. I want more of God. I need him to change me. But you know what? As I spent time reading scripture, as I spent time in prayer, my hope, hope began to rise in me. Because as I look to God, I find someone who has provided an answer for my desire to be transformed. You see, the answer today for me is not try a little bit harder. It's not more determination. It's not more willpower. No, transformation or righteousness, as the Bible calls it, is a gift from God. The change needed within me is not mine to do, it is God's to do. I can't change myself, not lasting, meaningful change, but God can change me. In the book of Romans, Paul uh, goes to great lengths to show that righteousness is a gift from God. He uses this term righteousness 35 times. And each time he insists that righteousness is not possible for our own efforts. Romans 5.17 tells us, For if, by the trespasses of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? You know, I look at my life, and although I can feel a mess at times, you know what? I'm not as much of a mess as I used to be. Praise God. You know, because when we, and, but then what happens is then, I don't know if you've ever had that, you know, you realize, oh, actually, it's God that changes me. When we read scripture, we go, okay, so righteousness is a gift. So it's God who changes me. I need more of that gift. So I've just got to wait for God to give me the gift. If righteousness, if transformation is about God, if righteousness is a gift, then surely I just wait for God to change me. 
Surely I can just stick my feet up and I can just wait. Well, no. There is something we can do. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 7, train yourself for godliness. Paul wants Timothy to take regular action to become more like God in his mind, in his heart, and echo his ways in his life. That Timothy would become more like God. And throughout Paul's ministry as a a follower of Jesus, throughout his life, we see someone living in such an intentional way. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10, he writes this, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. God's grace, Paul realizes it's all about God changing me, but that didn't mean that he was passive. No, God's grace didn't make him passive, but it supplied the energy he needed for discipline and effort. God's grace did not accomplish its purposes despite of Paul or without Paul, but through Paul. And that's why Paul could say in Romans 15, 18, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. God's grace is freely received, but it requires our cooperation. And God gives us ways to receive his grace. Now these ways could be described as spiritual disciplines. You know, these disciplines allow us to place ourselves before God so that he can transform us. Paul tells us in Galatians 6, 8, For the one who sows in his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You know, Paul gives us this picture of this farmer. The farmer is helpless to grow the crop. He can provide the right conditions for the crop to grow. He can cultivate the ground. He can plant the seed. He can water the plant. But then he relies on the natural forces of the earth to take over and bring about growth. The farmer does everything and then he steps back and says, okay, now now I've provided the conditions. I, I need growth to happen, but I'm not the one who can do it. Spiritual disciplines are our way of doing all we can to position ourselves to receive God's grace. Spiritual disciplines put us in a position where God can work in us and transform us. Now, spiritual disciplines, if you're not familiar with that term, they sound rather heavy. The word discipline doesn't sound very attractive. Or it sounds like very super spiritual. But, but there are many of the, when we talk about spiritual disciplines, there are many of the things that you and I already do and the Christians have been doing for the last 2,000 years. You know, reading your Bible, praying. Spending time listening to God, uh, fasting, giving, gathering as a body, coming to church. And over the next term, what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at a number of different disciplines. And the aim is that we are able to embrace them more, to position ourselves ready to be changed by God. And this series is called Habits of Grace. Because this season is about us creating habits that will help us keep God at the center of all that we do. It it takes the name from this book by David Mathis, which was so helpful. Uh, Josh recommended it to me, and it has been so helpful as it has stared my thoughts about this series. And I just love that title, because I don't know about you, but I have so many bad habits. Does anyone have any bad habits? Anyone's wife have bad habits? Anyone's husband, uh, Debbie, 
That was your husband shouting very loudly there. (laughs) I have so many bad habits, but I know that God invites me to create better habits. What would my life look like if I created better habits? And this series is about us being able to encourage one another to create those better habits, those habits of grace. And hopefully, even as you gather in your growth groups, you're going to stare one another to create better habits. And we're going to be inspired as we gather on Sundays. We're going to hear stories of people who have been deeply transformed by God. We're going to look at heroes of the faith from history. But we're also going to look at heroes amongst us. We're going to hear stories of people who, by intentionally putting God at the center, they have seen God transform them. You know, this series is an invitation for us as individuals and as a church to establish Christ at the center of all we do. I long to see God move in our city. Do you? He has called us to a great task, but it demands a great response. You know, I recently read about a French man named, um, I'm guessing it's Bernard rather than Bernard, but he, he, lived, he was born in 1090 and he was a monk in France and he, his, what, his spiritual son Eugene became the Pope and he was deeply concerned for his spiritual son. He just felt that in Eugene's life, he wasn't sure that Eugene had enough depth about him spiritually to sustain him in the task of being Pope. So he wrote to Eugene the Third, and he, he grieved over the demands now placed on Eugene. And he wrote to him, remove yourself from the demands, lest you be distracted and get a hard heart. For if you are not terrified by it, it is yours already, because you were bought at a price. Do not become a slave of men. I kind of, this moment of, of him saying, actually, are you deep enough? Do you have enough depth spiritually to keep you going in the task God has called you to? And I think of the task God has called us to as a church. And I wonder whether our intimacy with God is sufficient, is going to be sufficient. You see, we can be busy doing the right things, but if it doesn't come from a place of intimacy with God, then we will fail. When our life with God is not sufficient to sustain our work for God, then we will always struggle. I read recently an author, Pete Scazzaro, wrote in his book, Emotionally Healthy Church. He said, work for God that is not nourished by a deep interior life with God will eventually be contaminated. Read that again. Work for God that is not nourished by a deep interior life with God will eventually be contaminated. What does he mean? For it to be contaminated, well, I think it's when we serve from the wrong motives, we become contaminated. When we rub each other up the wrong way, and then we allow that to become division, I think we have become contaminated. When we say the right things, by, but secretly we're embracing sinful behaviours, then I think we become contaminated. You know, imagine what Jubilee would be like if we all serve from a deep place of intimacy with him. I just imagine my own life. Imagine what God would do if it came from a place of deep intimacy with him. It'd be wonderful, wouldn't it? Yeah? But you know what? That's the invitation Christ gives us. The kind of living is costly. It requires deep vulnerability. It requires embracing our flaws. It it requires us giving up our own desires. Grace is a free gift. Phil spoke about it this morning, but you know what? Grace is not cheap. 
The grace of God is unearned and undeserved, but it will cost you everything. Jesus makes this cost clear in Luke 9, 23. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus attracted lots of people. Crowds gathered to see Jesus, but he did very little to encourage spectators and consumers to stick around. Frequently we see Jesus downsizing crowds by enlarging on the cost of being a servant of the kingdom. For some of you, the invitation will be too much to bear. It will be too hard and you will walk away. But for those of us who choose to embrace intimacy with God, he will transform us and we will see the kingdom of God breaking in our life and those around us. You know, spiritual disciplines are not our attempt to win favor with God. I love what Jason said about giving. I don't know if you heard that prayer that Jason prayed before we gave. We're not trying to earn God's favor with our money. And with spiritual disciplines, we're not trying to win favor with God. We're not trying to impress him. We're not trying to to impress others. The aim is to put Jesus at the center of everything we do, to seek the love of Christ above everything else. And these disciplines just help us get there. Going back to St. Benedict and his rule for life, he wrote in the intro when he's trying to explain what it is and he's trying to invite people to join him, he said this, Therefore, we intend to establish a school for the Lord's service. Do not be daunted immediately by fear and run away from the road that leads to salvation. It is bound to be narrow at the outset. But as we progress in this way of life and faith, we shall run on the path of God's commandments, our hearts overflowing with the inexpressible delight of love. When you think of Jesus today, do you have the inexpressible delight of love? No. I don't. I want it though. I want to run into that, to experience the inexpressible delight of love. And through embracing God in spiritual disciplines, we will receive his love afresh. Not as a reward by doing those disciplines, but because as we position ourselves ready for God, by his grace, he meets with us and we experience him afresh. And that love will begin to change us. At Jubilee, our call is to make Jesus known. Making Jesus known in your family, with the people you work with, in your street, in the ministries that you're involved with. We want people to experience the love of God, but you know what? So often our motivations can be wrong. So often we can come to church because of what we can get out of it. We serve because of how it makes us feel. We get involved out of guilt or in trying to keep people happy. But as we embrace the intimacy with God through these spiritual disciplines, we will grow in love for God. You know, when I spend time with God, I am reminded of what he has done for me. In love that he would send his son to die for me. I'm once again astounded by his love. And as I receive his love afresh, I grow in my love for him. And that naturally means I grow in my love for others. And as we grow in our love for others, we will see the lost and we will weep over their salvation. We will see the broken and we will long for their healing. We will see the rebellious and we will call them to repentance. Not out of selfishness, not out of duty, but out of a deep love for them. Out of love, we will pour our energy into this community and be in one family. 
Out of love, we will give ourselves to serving in areas that God has called us to. Out of love, we will give sacrificially for the work of the kingdom. Out of love, our diaries will change and we will prioritize God's work. Out of love, we will willingly move to North Hull to join the church plan. Out of love, we will sell our houses and we will move to new cities and new nations. From a place of intimacy, we will make Jesus known in Hull and the nations. In Luke 19, there is a story about a wealthy tax collector called Zacchaeus. He hears of Jesus coming to his town of Jericho and Zacchaeus wants to see him. The problem is, Zacchaeus is a short man and he can't see over the crowds. Zacchaeus runs ahead and he climbs this sycamore fig tree. He climbs this tree because he knows that when Jesus gets to this point, he will be able to see over the crowds and he will be able to see the man he wants to. The passage tells us in Luke 19 that when Jesus reached the spot that Zacchaeus was, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, he he has gone to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to your house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus positions himself to meet Jesus. He knew that all the wealth that he had did not matter and he was willing to give up everything to follow Christ. Jesus knows Zacchaeus' sinful heart, but Jesus sees his effort and he meets him where he is at. He goes to Zacchaeus' house and he pours out his grace on Zacchaeus. And for many of us, I felt that this year is going to be a Zacchaeus moment for us. You know, for some of us, we have experienced God's grace before. We have seen him move in mighty ways, but we long for more. As we position ourselves before God, he will come and meet with us and he will change us again. For others, we are living in shame. We are are seeing all the mistakes. We are seeing all our insufficiencies and we are feeling overwhelmed. I feel in particular some of us today... You've been doing and saying the right things, but you you know that you've drifted away from God and your heart has become hard. As we position ourselves before God, God will draw near to us and we will receive intimacy again, which will change everything. And for some of us, you are truly like Zacchaeus. You've never met Jesus before. You may have been coming to Jubilee for a while or you may be new. You've never given your life to Jesus, turned from your always chosen to follow him. Today, Jesus invites you, just as he did with Zacchaeus, to come down from that tree and to walk with him. Zacchaeus positions himself to see Jesus. And this year, the invitation for us all is to position ourselves to meet with and be changed by Jesus. I don't know what this year is going to bring. I don't know the stories we will be sharing when we gather for our last Sunday on the 27th of December. I don't know what the church plant in North Hull is going to look like. I don't know what certain ministries are going to look like or the opportunities that are going to be presented to us. If you want to know what Jubilee is going to look like at the end of this year, I don't know. 
It's not a very inspiring vision speech, is it? But you know one thing I'm determined to see happen is that we will be able to share a newfound intimacy with God. And we will do all we can to position ourselves in the streams of grace that Jesus provides. And that's where we're going. That's where we're going this, through this series, but it's also where we're going through this year and onwards, is we're going to position ourselves in the streams of grace that God provides. Some of you are going to learn to pray for the first time. Some of you are going to learn what it is to fast. Some of you are going to start giving for the first time. Some of you are going to embrace relationships in the church in a way which you've never seen before. Some of you are going to have stories of just great intimacy found with others. Some of you are going to have stories of of just amazing studying of scripture, how God opens your eyes to fresh things, and some of you are going to have gifts to share. But one thing that I want to see for every single one of us is an intimacy with God. And about a year, nearly two years ago, 8th of March 2018, I was in a particularly tough position. I am... I'd been working for the church for a few years, but it was the toughest time. There was a number of difficult situations going on, and, um, and I wasn't sleeping, and I was really struggling. God wasn't in the center of my heart, and, um, and I knew it. I, I knew it. For, the, the situations were draining. Stress was in quite high. And um, on one particular night, um, I often don't sleep, and I know that's when God is not at the center. And one particular night, I was laid in bed, and I, I couldn't sleep. And, um, and I came downstairs, I, I left Rachel fast asleep, and I, I came downstairs, and I just cried out to God for a few hours on my sofa and on my living, on my living room floor. And, and as I came out of receiving from God, I, um, I wrote a, 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 a letter, I don't know what it really is, I'll let you decide after this. I wrote a letter or a poem, I don't know, um, to you as a church. And I knew at the time uh, my heart was getting hard. I was like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I don't know if I can take this. And, um, and as God ministered to me, this, this is what it was born out of. And, and I want to read you this because I knew at the time it wasn't for then. <laughs> there was far too much emotion. And as I prepared this message today, God said, read this. And so this is Friday the 8th of March, 2018. If the band, could, John, could the band come up, actually? This is Friday, the 8th of March, 2018. I don't want any, like, um, dramatic music in the background, all right? <laughs> There's no smoke machine or anything. This is Friday, the 8th of March, 2018, and I titled it, Let the Main Thing Be the Main Thing. What if a hospital stops serving the sick? What if a restaurant stops serving the hungry? What if a garage stopped fixing cars or a school stopped, serving, stopped teaching children? Would they cease to be a hospital, a restaurant, a garage or a school? A hospital with no doctors, nurses or patients quickly becomes a shell, empty, derelict and pointless. What does a when does a church stop being a church or a believer stop being a disciple? You see, no matter how much you wrap it up in shiny paper, give it a name, a website, a social media status, no matter how many times you meet the numbers through the door, the church about the gospel is sad, dying and poor. A church that does the work but does not love, or speaks a lot but, but not the truth, is no more than social services at best, and at worst I can't comprehend. 
There must be more to being a disciple than just turning up, serving a little, and trying not to upset those we feel we should call friends. But you see, it should be different. It was never God's intention to build a church of people that had no direction. He created a body and he made a bride that we would live out his truth, that we would be salt and light to a world that needed to hear the good news, that Jesus really is alive, that he came and he lived a perfect, sinless sacrifice so that we could experience life. Somehow, over time, we've forgotten, we've taken our eyes off the beauty, the wonder that the cross provides. But the time is now, no more more compromise, no more distraction. Today, I'm choosing to let the main thing be the main thing. I'm choosing to get in my lane, to fix my eyes on the finish line, and to run as fast and hard as I can. I'm choosing to prioritize the good news of the gospel and seeing Jesus glorified over everything. I'm choosing to surround myself with people who love outrageously and hope unendingly. I refuse to be surrounded by negativity and hopelessness. If you want to moan or criticize, please move on to the next person. You won't get what you're looking for here. I'm choosing to see the church as it really is again. A broken people, saved by grace, being transformed into a bride. I'm giving my all to this family and to upholding love, grace, and unity. Those in this family, I submit to you again. I stand with you in unity over the gospel. You have my heart and everything with it. I will fail you. I will frustrate you. I will upset you. But together, we will move forward and advance the gospel. We will look back and we will smile, remembering what God did through us and in us. If you're not with us or care more about yourself than the bride... I'd kindly ask you to find the door quickly. We can't tolerate disunity here. I'm choosing to seek God with all my heart, knowing that I need grace afresh daily. I'm choosing to submit to others, knowing that God has placed those around me to make me more like Christ. I'm choosing to be a worshipper, not just on Sunday when my favourite song is played or when I feel like it, but always. I'm choosing to intentionally, boldly and confidently approach God and know him more through prayer and reading of scripture. It's all about Jesus, and so I'm choosing to make the main thing the main thing. You know, that doesn't mean you'll find me living on a mountain away from the noise and chaos or becoming really boring or super spiritual. What it does mean is I'm not going to get distracted anymore by the things of this world. Don't expect me to get involved in petty squabbles or care too much about what is written on social media. Don't expect me to get involved in every minor detail, and please don't get too upset if I don't respond to your email immediately or agree to meet with you. If you try and gossip, there'll be no change here. Please don't telltale or murmur when things don't go the way you would like. If you're studying scripture, I'd love to chat, but only with those who are looking to be changed by it and not puffed up with knowledge. I'm refusing to be controlled by expectations, refusing to be controlled by past mistakes, shame or guilt. I am refusing to be controlled by fear of making a mistake, of getting it wrong, or you all leaving the church. I was called to make disciples, and that's what I'm going to do. I am committing again to sharing the gospel with my friends and with those I've just met, looking afresh at where the Spirit is leading me and inviting me to partner with sharing the good news. I am committing to being the best husband and father I can possibly be. I am taking the call of family seriously and my priorities will reflect that. I am committing to my church to be a brother to you, to serve you and to equip you. I am committing to the gospel, to see Jesus' name lifted high in our city and beyond, to see thousands coming to know Jesus. It has only just begun. Who knows what it looks like? But today, I am committing to let the main thing be the main thing. Can we stand?
Let's pray. Yes, Lord, right now, at the outset of this year, 